Welcome back, everybody. In this episode, we are going to talk about early religion and how Christianity criminalized queer. Queer studies in the medieval period is still a fairly new topic. Um, that's in comparison to the large amount of research on other topics within the same time frame. One of the reasons is rooted both in the medieval and modern point of view on sexuality and gender and the hierarchical relationship and social division between men and women. The majority of contemporary sources available from this period were written, compiled, or transcribed by men, so finding a woman's voice in the material can be difficult. However, sometimes what you don't find can be just as telling. Since we do have references to punishments, um, both the church and courts, from that time period, it is suffice it to say that something must have been happening. Additionally, digging for the voice of the average citizen in the Middle Ages can be particularly difficult. Um, plenty of records exist about the upper echelon of society, the royalty and nobility, but then, just as now, those persons existed under a different set of rules. Position begets power, begets money, and it's circular. And whether you're referring to the 12th or the 21st centuries, the rules of the haves versus the have-nots has not changed. So let's start with religion and how it eventually led to punitive sanctions against queer populations. In the introductory episode, I stated the Middle Ages began approximately with the fall of Rome in the 5th century. So let me set the stage for you. The land we know as England before Rome conquered it was pagan and polytheistic. Rome was also mainly polytheistic with a little bit of Judaism and Christianity thrown in. Rome, though, they were trying to conquer the world, was pretty chill about respect for religions in the land that they took over. Early Brits had their gods of the land and Romans had gods in the skies. Though Rome wanted the new territories to assimilate to their societal expectations, when it came to religious beliefs, they brought their gods with them and matched them, if you will, to the closest similar god they found in Britain. You'll often hear early people in England, Britain, called um, Celtic. But there's ongoing disagreement in the academic world if that label is still fitting, so I'm not intentionally avoiding its usage. I just don't want nasty grams from historians lecturing me on the difference. <laughs> so as an example of this deity melting going on then, Sulis was a water deity worshipped in Britain for healing properties. Rome brought Minerva with them. But Minerva isn't a water goddess. She's in the sky and rules or controls wisdom, war, art, schools, justice. Side note, the Romans took her from the Greeks, and the Greeks called her Athena. So, when Rome occupied Britain and saw their healing water goddess Sulis, they said, hey, we've got a goddess with healing powers, and bam, she was henceforth known as Sulis Minerva, and archaeologists have found images of Minerva found in ancient healing waters. It was only one thing that Romans outlawed in reference to religious practices, and that was human sacrifice, so they weren't, they weren't really down with that. Now, Sulis Minerva is considered a Romano-British deity. See how that works? People were fine mashing deities together, but as Romans came to settle in Britain, they brought Christianity with them. 
it, it didn't have a huge impact in the beginning. Not really. So what does all this have to do with Christianity, criminalizing same-sex relationships and marriages? <laughs> I'm glad you asked because I'm pretending that you did ask. Um, Rome, Romans had a well-documented history of four types of heterosexual couplings, um, use, concubine, marriage, and romance. Nothing in pagan religion shuns or denies males' sexual access to women under his control. The woman's status in his life wasn't much of an issue, be her a slave or a freed woman, captain in war, household servant, etc. The point is that women were predominantly under the control of a man. Did the same happen in reverse? Sure. But remember, this is a society where heredity ruled and sons inherited position and power from their father. So you certainly had to make sure the babies your wife was having were actually yours. You married for political financial gain, not to fulfill erotic needs. At the same time, there was four forms of same-sex couplings. They were more fluid, though, because you didn't have to worry about babies being made in same-sex relationships, so it didn't impact the disposition of property and status via the offspring. That fact alone means that same-sex relationships weren't much of a threat to the patriarchy. I do have to acknowledge that much like men owned women, men also owned men as slaves or spoils of war. I am not making light of the fact that some same and opposite sex relationships happened as a result of rape with no consent given or factually needed at that time by one party. So one of the same-sex relationships that occurred was by men who raped other men who were enslaved due to status or war. That also existed on the opposite sex side. That is just factual. Uh, much like the concubines mentioned previously in the heterosexual relationships, men of wealth and position did have a man in their servitude for the explicit purpose of sexual gratification. Now, of course, these are the men that you're talking about are still going to be the upper echelons of society. Um, the formal wedding ceremony between men and women often included a ceremonious dismissal of this male concubine. The most common type of same-sex relationships then as it is now was for love and companionship. These relationships were free to be open because it didn't interfere with the business of heterosexual marriage. Factually, this form of coupling is the same as our modern concept of marriage because it wasn't based on materialistic gain, rather a mutual desire, both emotionally and physically, for the other person. Lastly, same-sex marriages did exist, and since procreation for offspring wasn't possible, one can conclude from writings and artwork that same-sex marriages existed as a public showing of love and affection for each other. So how do we know all of this is factual? There's a plethora of contemporary books, artwork, poems, and wills and, and formal paperwork that details these relationships. If you're searching for modern words to locate the evidence, you're not going to find it. Words like lesbian and gay did not exist in the vernacular as we use it now. Emperor Nero was openly married to a man. Cicero wrote about same-sex marriages and dismayed over one party not inheriting when the other passed on. Writing that we would consider diaries or journals now 
detailed social events that the narrator attended. You know, today I went, Saturday is the weekend, and I went to the marriage of John and Adam. Museums all over the world display artwork that was originally depicted queer couplings. But the Christians got a hold of it, and they damaged, erased, or removed the sexual element from it. The evidence is everywhere, but it doesn't stand out. So why is that? Because it was normal. It was accepted. It wasn't mentioned in writings and diaries or tablets as salacious or unusual. These were normal relationships being publicly shown and celebrated. Just as a modern person may scribble their thoughts in a journal, so did earlier civilizations. And it wasn't to gossip or to judge. It just was. It was a factual day-to-day accounting of life. If by chance you, <laughs> if by chance you want to poke at the patriarchy and heteronormative society, I suggest you go read up on the sacred bands of Thebes. They were a specialized fighting force that was comprised of 150 gay male couples. It's, it's amazing to read the information. Um, Julius Caesar was written about as a husband to women and a wife to men. When you view ancient and medieval artwork, know that the joining of right hands in the persons depicted is associated with a physical union, something that the church also later adopted in marriage ceremonies between heterosexual couples. Same-sex relationships were regarded as simply another expression of human sexuality in the cultures of ancient civilizations and were not considered shameful or sinful until after the rise of Christianity. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Hadrian, Sappho, the list goes on and on. In the translation of ancient texts from all cultures, modern scholars fail to understand the commonly understood nuances of language. Just as we might say that he's just a friend or he's bringing his friend with him to dinner, we know that the word friend has two different meanings in that context. Scholars did not understand that previously and made it appear as though same-sex relationships are a modern concept that stems from a deficiency of morality instead of a normal emotional and physical bond that has always been present. Information on the same-sex relationships in the Celtic, I said that word, uh, peoples is a bit harder to find, but it's there. Unlike the Romans, the native Britons didn't always utilize a written language. However, for what sources are remaining, we know that homosexual relationships were not prohibited or taboo among the Celtic people, and that they had a flexible approach to sexuality. Through my research over the last few years, I've come to a theory regarding this hidden in plain sight evidence of same-sex relationships from the past. They're hidden because a heteronormative society needs them to be. It needs queerness to be a modern invention and not an accepted way of life because that disrupts the patriarchy. Thus, the evidence was hidden and not discussed. It's a, it's a strong form of social control. So what happened to all the loving life queer people? How in the world did polytheistic societies with freedom of sexual expression and intimacy become us? Christianity happens. And that's 
is in the next episode.